One of the big factors of note behind this is attributable to the mountain of cash that oil and gas companies have built up, which has reached levels that we haven't seen in many, many years. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. U.S. inflation eases to 4.9% in April, its lowest rate in two years. On today's special episode, portfolio managers Matt Montemoro, Vishal Botia, and your host Mackenzie Box explore whether this data will influence the Fed's potential pause. They also discuss gold's recent rally, when we could see yield curve normalization, and big oil's profits. Before we hear from the team, please consider subscribing to Views from the Desk on your preferred podcast platform. And for many more ETF insights and resources, visit BMOETFs.com. Hello, and welcome back to BMO ETF's weekly insights podcast with our team of experts. Thank you to everyone for continuing to tune in and to provide your comments and questions each and every week. I'm your host today, Mackenzie Box, in product at BMO Global Asset Management. Today, I am joined by Matt Montemuro and Vishal Badia, who are both portfolio managers on our ETF desk. So thank you to Matt and Vish for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Mackenzie. Thank you, Mackenzie. All right, so we'll dive in. Matt, we'll start with you. Another big economic release today as April's U.S. CPI data just printed. Uh, the market was sitting patiently awaiting the results. Can you walk us through the release and what this could mean moving forward for the markets? Yeah, absolutely. So the market was sitting on the edge of their seat today waiting for April's CPI print. And it came in at 4.9% year over year, uh, which is lower than expectations, which is continuing that trend downward, which is positive for markets. Uh, we saw markets rally, a lot of optimism that uh, the higher interest rates that the or higher interest rate for policy that the Fed has been using is working at cooling prices and bringing them down to, you know, although we're still much higher than the Fed's target of, of kind of that 2 to 3%, uh, you know, it's moving in the right direction. So a lot of optimism after today's CPI print, you know, and, and just some comments around it, you know, despite traditional me measures still showing, you know, sticky inflationary pressures, you know, there does seem to have been uh, more progress on taming CPI than the market uh, initially expected. So headline CPI rose by 0.4% in April, uh, and that leaves the annual total at 4.9% year over year. So that's the second month in a row we're, we're right around that 4.9%. And again, although that is uh, slightly lower uh, than consensus, which is around 5%, it's kind of right in that line of expectations. We did see food prices uh, were unchanged month over month. That's the second month in a row. Uh, and we did uh, see energy prices rise by 0.6%. If you look at uh, excluding food and energy, prices rose by 0.4% in April. You know, And that leaves the three-month annualized and the 12-month annualized rate at about 5.1% and 5.5% respectively. 
so that is still well above the Fed's target. Uh, you know, that traditional measure of core inflation was boosted by highly volatile used car prices, which were up 4.4% alone in April. So, you know, as a result, the reading of, of the, the prices excluding food and energy looks like it overstates uh, the the trend in price growth. So, you know, although we do see that 5.1 or 5.5% in kind of core uh, inflation, you know, I think that's just a little bit higher than expected, which is which is positive for markets overall. If you look at Fed Chair Powell's preferred gauge of underlying price pressures, which is core services excluding shelter, uh, once again, that is showing it that we are taming and doing a good job of bringing down price pressures. You know, that stripped down measure rose by 0.3% in April, which leaves the three-month annualized rate at about 4%. Uh, you know, so again, still far from the Fed's target of, of kind of that 2% target of inflation, but we are moving in the right direction. It also does allow the Fed to continue to uh, likely pause in their interest rate policy. It, it kind of cements the fact that they've, they've raised uh, rates to a point where it is making a material impact on prices. Uh, and at this point, they can kind of wait and see. You know, They did say it was data dependent. This data is positive that they're doing a good job at cooling inflation. So if you just look at the impact on markets, um, one-year inflation break-evens, they dropped about 20 basis points to 1.9%. So clearly the market expectations is that you know inflation is coming down. It's a very positive, you know, I'll bet I think that's a little bit of an overreaction, a little bit too optimi- uh, optimistic reaction to uh, inflation break-evens. So if, if I look at it, you know, in one year from now, the market is pricing at about a 1.9% inflation. Although we're moving in the right direction, we're still at 4.9%. So there's still a long way to go. From a portfolio perspective, I think there's still opportunity using tips in your portfolio. So looking at something like ZTIP, the BMO uh, short-term US tips ETF, or TIPS, our BMO US tips uh, index ETF, you know, both of them would provide inflation protection uh, and I think if you look over the one year, the way the the market and where expected inflation is being priced, I think that there's still opportunities in U.S. tips right now to take advantage of that inflation protection. Because I do think the move from 4.9% to 2% is going to take longer than we expect. And that's going to force us to have higher rates for longer. So, you know, I think if you're looking at the market and what to expect going forward, I think it just tells us that the market is being very optimistic with its inflation predictions. And I think that uh, we are going to see surprises on the upside over the next 12 months, meaning tips within your portfolio would be beneficial as a complement to that core fixed income. Great. Thanks, Matt. Some good insights there. Are you looking for protection against volatility? Check out BMO GAM's monthly covered calls and enhanced income report, which features the latest performance numbers from BMO's suite of covered call and enhanced yield ETF solutions, including the BMO Covered Call Canadian Bank's ETF, ticker ZWB, and the BMO Covered Call U.S. Bank's ETF, ticker ZWK. Find the link to the report in today's episode notes.
Fish, we're going to turn the next one over to you. Something that we've been seeing in headlines and kind of all over the news the last little bit. Um, can you maybe touch on what's been driving the value of gold recently? Sure, Mackenzie. Uh, you know, if we look at the performance of one of our ETFs as a proxy for what's happening, you know, in the gold market, the, the BMO Equal Weight Global Gold ETF, ZGD, since the beginning of November 2022, performance has been quite exceptional, up 54%. And so, you know, there are a number of factors behind the strong performance of gold since November, which is, you know, recently seen it closing in close to an all-time high. Part of the fuel behind that that rise is due to consumers in China rushing to you know, buy more jewelry, bars, and coins during the first quarter of the year after Beijing lifted its extremely stringent zero COVID policies. Uh, and of course, uh, buyers have been using gold as a hedge against contagion risk due to the failure of the you know uh, various U.S. regional banks, which has certainly been responsible for driving prices in the yellow metal. Up. Uh, we haven't seen gold rise to these levels since Russia invaded the Ukraine. And in fact, it's now you know, close to its all-time high of $2,075, which was reached back in August 2020 as COVID wreaked you know, havoc on the global economy. Last week uh, on, on Wednesday, uh, what we saw was that the FOMC raised rates in the U.S. by you know, a quarter point, a uh, quarter point, but of note uh, beyond that that increase, uh, you know, as as always, the the devil is in the details. You know, the language market watchers parsed that 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 language and concluded that they hinted that the FOMC suggested it might be the final move in the current tightening cycle, and so that shift in tone has fueled bets on potential easing, perhaps later this year, and that's been an additional tailwind to support gold's recent uh, rally given that expectations of interest rate increases reduce the attraction or attractiveness of gold for investors, given that they would otherwise miss out on the yield of bonds by holding gold, which doesn't you know, yield anything on its own. Lastly, perhaps one of the biggest factors uh, behind the you know, spectacular performance of gold since November is attributable to record buying by central banks uh, last year, uh, over 1,087 tons of buying, in fact. And what's behind that is that numerous you know, non-Western central banks have been buying gold to more or less diversify away from the U.S. dollar after the U.S. has essentially weaponized the dollar, the U.S. dollar, via its sanctions against Moscow. So we've seen the buying spree from central banks extend into uh, this year, in fact, uh, with purchases of a record 228 tons of gold just during the first quarter. And that's according to uh, the latest quarterly report from the World Gold Council. Despite the record run in, in prices for gold that we see, when you look at gold-backed ETFs last year, you, strangely enough, they suffered outflows. And that's, again, because higher interest rates that we've been you know, living with uh, have attracted investors to yields on bonds as compared to gold, which doesn't yield anything. However, in looking at this year, 2023, we've seen that uh, gold outflows during the first quarter an aggregate for the industry slowed, you know, significantly. And in fact, uh, we saw that the 11-month run of outflows was reversed in March uh, with the U.S. regional banking crisis, you know, stealing headlines and uh, providing fuel for gold's rise. Looking forward, uh, the main gold drivers are likely to be, you know, market watch will be looking very closely to, for evidence of more deposit outflows within U.S. regional banks. And ongoing news flow regarding the standoff that's currently happening between uh, Biden, the Biden administration, 
uh, and Republican lawmakers over the debt ceiling. And that will remain a risk factor that you know, may cause further chaos in financial markets. Great. Thanks, Vish. Next, we'll turn it back to you, Matt. The yield curve continues to be inverted. Now, have markets overpriced mid and long-term bonds? And should investors maybe be increasing their allocation to ultra-short or things like money markets? Yield curves in Canada and the U.S. continue to be pretty heavily inverted. And while rates have fallen kind of 12 months to all the way out the curve kind of year to date, you know, that that shift has actually been pretty parallel. So the inversion actually has only increased slightly year to date. So, you know, although, uh, you know, we, we've continued to see those short end rates kind of locked in and, and the rest of the curve fall, that inversion is still pretty steady at around 80 basis points in Canada. When you look at this from a big picture perspective, at some point, we'll need to see some yield curve normalization. You know, we, we can't and we won't be inverted forever. Uh, so what does that mean? You know, normalization can happen in, in, in a couple different ways. I'll, I'll highlight two ways here. First of which, Short end rates, you know, Bank of Canada and Fed policy, uh, they'll need to come down. So, you know, Bank of Canada and the Fed will need to start cutting rates um, significantly from current levels. So the market is pricing in, you know, that scenario now starting in late 2023. You know, although we don't think that this is the likeliest scenario, I think for for some sort of yield curve normalization, you'll need to see the Fed and Bank of Canada start cutting rates and, and cut maybe three to four times to be able to get to kind of a flat yield curve or, or more normalized yield curve, if, if I'm looking at it from a 10-year minus two-year yield perspective. You know, again, that inversion is about 80 basis points. So 80 basis points, if we use a traditional 25 basis point cut, that's going to be about three or four cuts to for us to get to to a flat um, flatter yield curve. So you know I don't think that this is the likeliest scenario, even though that we do see that priced uh, kind of priced into the market right now. That seems to be a little bit optimistic and and seems to be a little bit early, especially given the tone uh, that the Fed and Bank of Canada have given around inflation, and that they they are going to act. Uh, very prudently and slower than maybe the market currently expects. So the second uh, way that we're going to see a little bit of norm, uh, yield curve normalization is that longer term yields are going to be forced or midterm and longer term yields are going to be forced to rise. Uh, you know, so my view is that, you know, in the near term, I think we're going to remain inverted um, you know, I could see us being inverted for the remainder of 2023 and that the bank account and the Fed are going to hold rates higher for longer. Uh, and I think right now, you know, we're starting to see cuts priced in for December. Um, you know, in Canada, we're starting to see kind of January, February. You know, I, I would be surprised if we saw, you know, any sort of meaningful cut until uh, before the, the second half or sorry, before the, the second quarter of 2024. So, you know, that higher for longer expectation would uh, lead to midterm and longer term rates uh, expectations to rise over time. So, you know, for like, like I said, we're not going to be inverted forever. At some point in time, midterm and longer term investors are going to for uh, are going to start to normalize and force yields to move up. So I think in 2024, we'll see a combination of longer term rate expectations normalizing. So, you know, they're going to be moving upward 
And then also, you know, I think by by starting in Q2-ish next year, we'll start to see a little bit of easing of policy rates by the Fed and Bank of Canada, which will bring us to a little bit more of a natural equilibrium uh, by the second half of 2024. So that's how I view kind of the yield curve normalization. It's a little bit of one and a little bit of two in this case. But, you know, I do think that we're, we're likely to see some uh, midterm and longer term rates rise from kind of their current levels. And because of this, you know, we still do see value in a barbell strategy. So, you know, although we do expect some midterm and long-term rates to rise, we still value long government exposure here as a volatility offset. You know, utilizing that negative correlation to equities, you know, if we are in an environment of higher rates for longer, you want some sort of ballast in the portfolio, a negative correlation asset that when the equity market sells off, when the equity market market increases in volatility, you have an offset in your portfolio. And that's where that long government exposure would come in. So I would look at uh, ZFL, so BMO's long federal bond uh, ETF, or ZTL, BMO's long US Treasury bond ETF as that long duration exposure. And then I would pair this with short corporate exposure. That's where I see the real value right now in the market is that short end, you know, you're getting four and a half to 5% yield in investment grade credit. I would look to lock in and take advantage of that short end while I could. So a couple options here would be, you know, in Canada, ZST, the BMO Ultra Short-Term Bond ETF, or ZCS, our BMO Short Corporate Bond ETF, along with our Money Market ETF, ZMMK, our BMO Money Market Fund ETF. All three provide uh, short-term kind of un- durations of under two and a half, yields of over five, um, allowing you to really lock in shorter uh, short-term rates that are higher than I think they're, they would be in about a year. You can lock those in, take advantage of that yield carry in the front end. Uh, so, you know, all in all, I think the barbell still looks attractive, although I think that we might see some, some increases in interest rates in the mid and longer t- part of the curve in the next 12 to 18 months. Um, and then I would definitely uh, beef up exposure to that ultra short end, taking advantage of those uh, higher yields uh, in the kind of under two-year duration space. Great. Thanks, Matt. Not all cash equivalents are created equal, and BMO's money market and ultra short-term bond ETFs offer several high-quality options to park client cash. To learn more, visit BMOETFs.com and search for tickers ZMMK, ZST, and ZUS. And the last question for today, we'll turn it back to you, Vish. Um, how has the uncertain economic outlook as of late been affecting oil and oil stocks this year? We've seen that in this uncertain economic environment with recession risk at, at the front of investor minds, uh, and, and given the U.S. regional banking crisis rattling investors, uh, resulting in really low risk appetite, the energy sector has been the S&P 500's worst performer year to date, which reflects the pullback in oil of about 10.5% over the same period. And this, uh, if you contrast that against last year's performance, which was like really great, uh, that was fueled by you know, after Russia invaded the Ukraine. So despite the poor performance of oil year to date, oil companies themselves, represented by the S&P 500 Energy Index, have underperformed less 
than the commodity itself. And so, you know, one of the big factors of note behind this is attributable to the mountain of cash that oil and gas companies have built up, which has reached levels that we haven't seen in many, many years. If we look at the six companies that are often referred to as big oil, quote unquote, as an indication for what's happening more broadly in the wider oil industry, companies like Italy's ENI, France's Total Energies, you know, Shell and BP and Chevron and ExxonMobil, they reported collectively nearly $160 billion in cash and cash equivalents across their balance sheets at the end of the first quarter. And so before the cash pileup in recent months, the last time that these big oil companies collectively exceeded $40 billion in cash was back uh, at the end of the GW Bush era, when crude oil uh, near the end of a pullback from, uh, at that time, a record of $145 a barrel. So whereas oil companies that are flush with cash would normally use that cash to pursue growth uh, and direct that money into projects, speculative drilling projects and so on, which could weigh down their stock prices. What we've seen now is that big oil has instead tried to be mindful, more mindful uh, of managing shareholder returns by boosting dividends and engaging in substantial share repurchases. So we've certainly seen a lot of that in recent uh, months. And this cash uh, being redeployed or, or given back to shareholders or redeployed to uh, engage in share repurchases, that's helped to make up for stock prices that would otherwise seesaw right alongside the volatile commodity markets themselves. The cash pile that they're sitting on should also be a you know, benefit to big oil in order to stabilize their fortunes given the uncertain long-term outlook, given you know, that governments, markets, and the global economy are you know, gradually shifting towards cleaner energy and striving towards meeting the ambitious net zero initiative goals. And you know, as for like the oil price uh, you know, later this year, uh, reading the tea leaves, certainly you know, we're coming into the summer driving season. So just in terms of seasonality, that should, in the, in the short, short to mid-run, boost uh, oil, the oil to commodity. But as for longer than that, Looking further out, uh, you know, there are a number of factors, as, as I described, which will determine the price. But uh, certainly we could see it rising in terms of the commodity uh, uh, somewhat from this point onwards, given the seasonality of the upcoming driving season. One can get exposure to oil and gas via the BMO Equal Weight Oil and Gas Index ETF, ZEO is the ticker, as well as through a number of our ETF strategies, which focus on dividends, which would benefit from the cash-rich balance sheets uh, that these oil and gas companies, uh, you know, uh, I mentioned, are, are uh, currently sitting on due to that cash hoard they've accumulated. Great, thanks, Vish. Some great insights there. Those are all the questions that we have for this week. So I just want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening to our podcast. And a special thank you to both Matt and Vish for providing some great insights for investors. And with that, I just want to thank everyone and have yourself a great day. Thank you to Mackenzie Box, Matt Montemoro, and Vishal Batia for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today we heard about the BMO Short-Term U.S. Tips Index ETF, ticker ZTIP, also referred to as ZTIP, which is designed for investors looking for inflation-protected income. Our experts also discussed gold's record run. The BMO Equal Weight Global Gold Index ETF, ticker ZGD, provides exposure to global gold mining equities. For more information about the other ETFs discussed in this podcast, 
check out the episode notes, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit the ETF Center at BMOETFs.com. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Commissions, management fees, and expenses, if any, all may be associated with investments in exchange-traded funds. Please read the ETF facts or prospectus before investing. Exchange-traded funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. BMO Global Asset Management is a brand name under which BMO Asset Management Inc. and BMO Investments Inc. operate.